So church, um, I need to say this uh, as I preach this message. Um, I'm about to get myself in a lot of trouble. I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble, and I need accountability. And I know you don't hear that from a church, but when sometimes when you know when you preach something, or you get into the Word, and the, and the Word like slaps you across the face, and you're like, mm, man, um, how what God's Word is saying, how I live, um, needs to be apparent. And so I'm about to preach something that I'm asking you, and I'm challenging you to not only keep me accountable, but I to you and us to as a church. Uh, and it comes down to this. Um, early, I don't know, in relationships— um, do you find it easy to express the way that you love the person that you're in a relationship with? You know, whether that's kids, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a boyfriend or girlfriend, like you find it easy really to show your affection to them in multiple ways. Like, right. So when I was growing up, my parents, um, just taught me to be a gentleman. And so like one of the ways that I, um, love to show, um, you know, Ashley, when I was dating her is I would go and I would open the door for her. Anytime that we were going somewhere. So I'd open the door for her and then I'd close it, right? And so even the same thing in the, when we were driving, but also when we were entering into um, a building, like I'd open the door for her, let her go in first, right? And then go behind. Very, you know, chivalrous Southern. But then it's just even things like as we begin to get married, as we say our vows, like, oh, mm, you know, it's easy to do the dishes, all the time to show my wife that I love her, to take out the trash, to show that I love her in so many ways. When she was sick, oh, it was so good to like care for her, to bring her soup, to be like, honey, how can I help you feel better? Right? But then like we celebrate 10 years and 15 years and all of a sudden this genuine expression of love and my vows became like something that's like, do I have to open the door for you? Like you're a grown woman. You're a strong woman. Open your own door. It rains here in Seattle. Mm-mm. Lord have mercy, right? I need to get in, right? Do I have to clean the dishes? I just cooked. I don't know if any of you have that, that rule in your house. If you cook, you don't clean. Oh my gosh. But then it's like, why am I cooking and cleaning? Right? Or like, why when you come home, you're like, man, why do I have to take the trash when it sits out there? Like you come home and the trash is sitting out on the front steps and you're like, she could have walked 50 feet. Just, right? You know, or the thing is, like, when you're, when she's sick, you're like, I mean, you got the last couple of years, like, you're sick, you just throw them in the room, quarantine, slide something, it's like prison, you slide food underneath the thing, you're like, bloop, have a good time, hope you make it out, don't get me sick. Like, we always have these relationship parts where we turn into this place of, like, easy, easy at the beginning to show that you love this person, oh my gosh, and then all of a sudden it becomes hard. Faithfulness becomes hard as it gets on and further down the relationship. Trust me, I know, I lived it out. It came harder and harder. And the truth is, like, faithfulness is, uh, my faithfulness to her transitioned from something that I got to do to something that I have to do. Right? Because I don't, I want to be with her, and I don't want to lose her, but I don't really want to have to do all these things that I need to do. Right? And so this morning we're talking about the story of faithfulness. Is that we're moving from a shift. And I believe this changes really everything. And I feel like I told Kyle I have a word this morning. And I don't know why, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit it because I think if we just have a shift sometimes in, your, in how we understand things, it changes everything. Faithfulness to God isn't something that you have to do. It's something you get to do. 
Faithfulness in your relationships is not something you have to do, but that you get to do. And so I want you to join with me in uh, the story uh, of Hosea and the people of Israel. So if you have your Bible in front of me, or in front of you, turn to Hosea chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 16. Whether it's physical or digital, uh, you can follow us along, um, or you can follow us along on screen. And this is what it says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of Baal from your lips, and no longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the fields and the birds in the skies and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish them from the land, so that all may lie down in safety." I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you not... um, Always in the best circumstances, we come with many different things on our heads and on our minds, and sometimes it is hard to focus on you. But God, as you often said and your son said, God, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our heart to receive the word that you have for us today? A word that says, children, I love you. Follow in the way of the family of God. So God, would you open our eyes and our ears and our heart to receive you this morning? We ask this in your name. Amen. Church, I want to focus in on one text this morning, uh, one little verse, and it's this one. And we're going to go through it in a couple places. That in Hosea, if you know the story of Hosea, Hosea is a, is a depiction of a story of Hosea who marries Gomer, and Gomer's a prostitute, and represents that personal relationship, represents the larger story of God and the people's relationship of Israel with their God and the unfaithfulness that they exist. And so this story goes hand in hand. And, but right at the beginning of Hosea, not like some other um, uh, prophet books where it's like you get the doom and gloom only through the first nine. and then finally the Lord redeems. Like right at the beginning, he says, this is, I'm going to declare what is about to happen. And this is what we're talking about in terms of this idea of faithfulness and we get to. And that day declares the Lord, you will be called, you will call me my husband and no longer my master. Can you think about that? Like that this relationship, do you ever think that you call God my master? Right? Like everybody be like, no, there's no way that I refer to God. Like when you pray, my master, thank you so— Like, you don't pray to my master, but this relationship that Israel had with God, is he saying, God's saying, like, you don't treat me in a relationship. You treat me as an enslaved master, like one who enslaves you and bonds you and causes you to be held there in a relationship where you do only what you can do to keep in that relationship. How many of us— in, in our lives, in our relationships, do we kind of feel this, that we believe that our relationship with God is more of the have-tos? Like, I have to do these things in order to stay in the relationship with God so that I can keep my certificate uh, or my membership to get into the family of God into heaven later. Right? And how many in your own personal relationships, like, that you begin, you share these vows with your spouse, and then you continue to live on, and you do the things that you have to so you don't get divorced. 
Or you do these things almost so much that you say, like, I don't want to have a great marriage, but I don't want to not have a marriage or a relationship. And so that kind of kind of moved into me, like, with Ashley's, like, one of her um, love languages is quality time. Right? And so, like, you feel this pressure in this relationship that I have with her. It's like, mm, I have to spend quality time with her. Mm. Ugh. No. Right? Or I, like, or these places of when I treat her like things like I have to do, like, I have to not cheat on her to stay with her. Right? That's faithfulness. But it means I can still sleep on the couch twice or three times a week. That's Okay? Right? I, I have to do the dishes, not because, like, I want to do it, because I want to get something out of it later. Now, you're indebted to me because I've done something that I shouldn't do that you should do. This relationship of I have to, and we do this with God sometimes, that we say, like, we have to read our Bibles in order to stay in the relationship with God. Right? Like, he has given you, you've said the prayer of, 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 to that God would be your salvation and your savior. And you say, like, I have to do these things in order to stay in the family. That we are adopted into the family and you think that your relationship is such on shaky ground that I have to read my Bible every day, otherwise I'm out of the family. I have to pray every day and at every meal, otherwise I am not a good son or daughter and I'm gonna be kicked out. I have to go to church every Sunday and go to, uh, to uh, groups because if I don't, then how will God view me? How will the church view me? And I'll feel this shame and this re- responsibility that I'm not living up to. And when I do that, I'll let everybody down. And then ultimately, they'll just say, could you just leave? I'd rather be out of this relationship than with you. We come to this place where you're like, I show up once a week, maybe once a month. And it's something that I have to do, not because I want to. Because I feel like this obligation, the relationship with God, that if I, only, if I have to do enough things to continue into the relationship, I'll do what I have to do in order that I don't get kicked out. But the reality is, our have-to faithfulness then becomes a chore and a religion. It becomes a religion that you check off, and then you get to do all the things that you want to do. Right, You come to church, and then you get to go, and you get to experience life to the fullest after you do the required things, right? Like, I'll do the dishes, I'll take out the trash, I'll spend quality time so that I can go play golf, right? Or if I do more of those things, then I will be able to do more golf because I'm done what I had to do because my relationship with my wife is no longer something that is a spousal relationship, but it's my master. If I do this tilting balance, if I balance the weights, then then she'll owe me. We do that with God. My faithfulness to you is I have to do these things. And now, God, my faithfulness outweighs your faithfulness. Now you need to bring something to the table. This is what Israel's doing all the time. They find themselves in exile, and their faithfulness has come low, Right? And then God's like, boom, they're like, God, what are you doing? And then they're like, oh, I've come back to you. We've, we've taken off the altar of the idols. We've come back. We've d- rebuilt the wall. We've rebuilt the temple. Now, God, show yourself to be faithful. Do that all the time in our relationships, too. Look what I've done. How many arguments do you have? You're like, look what I did for you. Why are you pulling your weight? Our problems will be solved if you did more. But this relationship that we have to do is one that becomes a chore and a religion and then all of a sudden dissolves into a place where we're broken apart. Show me a relationship that is thriving on this have-to and I'll show you a a relationship that's slowly dissolving and dying. 
It did it with the people of God. It's our story. It's your story. It's my story. But our faithfulness is God is telling them as though it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be the master. We're going to go and say like, in that day that you will call me my husband. I want you to move away from this idea that I'm your master. You're enslaved, that you have to do so much to stay in the relationship. But I want you to live into this faithfulness of not something that you have to do, but that you get to do. This came so apparent as I was a, uh, you know, we have two kids, a seven and a nine-year-old girl that are in elementary school. And if you know anything, it's we have to get them. We have to get them to school by 9 a.m., right? And so anywhere from like 8.30 to 9 o'clock is hectic hour. Like we are like books, bag, water bottle, lunchbox, socks, shoes, hair, and we're getting all these things. And I'm just like, we have to get there by nine o'clock because then I have to get to work. Because if I'm not at work and all my staff members are there going like, Austin, why are you always running late? I have to get in. So I'm like, let's go, let's go, get in here, get in here. And I'm a pack mule. I'm carrying all the things. I'm carrying children. I'm pushing them out the door and all the things. And I remember this one time and then my wife comes up and she's like, hey, babe, do I get a hug or a kiss goodbye? And I'm like, excuse me? I got two bags. I got two kids. I'm kicking the third one out the door. And you come up to me and dare ask me that you want a hug and kiss goodbye? I remember this moment. She's like, we heard this phrase a long time ago. And she just whapped it on me. She's like, you don't have to kiss me. You get to. And I was like, dang, Lord. <laughs> and so the pack mule, like, I'm not going to say, like, it wasn't just a switch that I was like, Lord, melt in my heart. I went like, bye. Like, right? But that phrase of this transition, and it wore in my head all the time that I'm rushing into all the things that I have to do. And I forget the things that I get to do. I don't have to kiss my wife goodbye every day. I get to. I don't have to spend quality time with her. I get to spend quality time with her. I don't have to do the dishes. I don't have to do the, um, the trash. I don't have to take care of her. I get to do these things. I don't have to come home after a long day of work and play with my kids. I get to play with my kids. And I'm not saying this to like put shame on you. I'm saying this to remind myself that I want, I walk the door. It's not a responsibility. It is a gift. Your relationship with Christ is not a responsibility. It is a gift. You don't have to read your Bible. I promise you there are a lot of Christians and a lot of people that I've walked with over the last decade of ministry that don't read their Bible. You don't have to. You get to. You don't have to pray. We just did a prayer series. You don't have to pray the way that Jesus talked to you pray. You get to. You don't have to come to church on Sunday. You don't have to be involved in our groups. You don't have to come to youth group. You don't have to bring your kids. You get to. And when you get to, the relationships start to flourish and start to grow. When you get to in your faithfulness, your love starts to expand. When you love and you get to with God, you get to tap into this love that's not just conditional, but is unconditional. You get to tap into when you get to this grace that says, I am not asking for you to get it right 100% of the time, but the grace is there because you get to come to me and you get to see a father that loves you, that accepts you and says, come to me, my son and daughter. 
Not because you have to. Not because you must. Because you get to. This is not only in my relationship with Christ, but also in my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids. Is when I operate in this way, if I get to, our family flourishes. Not because God owes me anything. Because I'm living in the way that he has created and wired us to live in with him and then live with one another. Greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Show me a relationship in a family that's a relationship that's flourishing, and I'll show you one that has a get-to faithfulness. It's not faithful because they have to, but because they get to. In church, let me tell you this. Oof. And you thought that was good? This is where the goodness comes up. You might say like, oh, we could end there, and that would be the greatest Western Christianity sermon ever. People are like, oh my gosh, I get to. I get to go home. I'm going to change the way I live with my spouse and my family, and everything's going to get better, right? It's about me. Oh, but if you're just skimming off the top, I'm telling you, that's going to go away real quick because you're going to get in a fight with your spouse. You're going to get in a fight with your kids, and you'll be like, this is stupid. This is where it gets good. I have a friend that's visiting today um, from a church in Trinity in Connecticut, and um, his name is Carl. And Carl uh, has ser- serves with me as a youth leader, um, but that's not something special. Like his daughter grew up throughout the ministry, uh, the youth ministry before I got there. Uh, she had a, a good experience, um, got friends, um, grew in her relationship with Christ. Um, and had a great experience. And then when she left, um, Carl got invited. They were like, hey, why don't you serve in youth ministry, right? Because sometimes, like, your kid doesn't want you there as a parent. If you're, if you're there with your kid, that's a huge blessing. But sometimes your kids don't want you. And so he joined in afterwards, and then he came on with me. And this is the thing that I love about, about Carl, is that as he began, and I think, he, and I believe kids me wrong, but he probably served at least 10 years. I know he was there with at least the five and a half years that I was there, and he's still been there for a year and a half since I've been gone, and he was doing it before then. And you know what the good news about this? Is that Carl and his faithfulness wasn't because he had to serve in, in youth ministry, right? Like, how did that disconnect? It was like, there are so many people that you could say, like, man, could we have a more relevant, younger, hipper person, right, to be a youth leader, but sometimes that relationship of that is people that just have to instead of Carl's desire to get to to be there. And he had started 10 years of, of serving in ministry and not only like going on trips, going on retreats, getting nursed already. But what happened is, is he began to dig wells and plant seeds that he had no idea that we're going to harvest later. Because what happened after his daughter finished college, got married, they came back after college, and begin to serve in youth ministry as well. One who grew up in the ministry and had a great time left, so her father started serving and started seeing and planting seeds and then they never saw and never thought were going to happen. And then all of a sudden, his daughter comes back and they are reaping the harvest of what they had been doing faithfully for generations and years. This is the truth, that daughter and like daughter and father are serving as youth leaders together. He began to dig wells and plant seeds. He had no idea that we're going to bear fruit. 
And this is the truth that we need to talk about today. Your get-to faithfulness isn't just for you. God never wired the story of creation and his relationship with himself and with one another just for your sake. That is a Christianity that is deviated from the heart of God. And this is what I'm saying. It's not just something that I'm saying because I have a catchy phrase, but it happens in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Sets it up from the beginning when he is choosing his people. He presses on them. This is what it means to be in a relationship with me. Read this. Impress on your children. And maybe you've heard this before. Press on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie the symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are the commandments. Write the story of God in their hearts and their lives. Bind them to your head and foreheads. And then it says this. Because we often stop there. And we miss the second half, like we talked about last week. And when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. They hadn't received the fullness of entering the land to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you. A land of large and flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all of kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Friends, can I tell you the good news? What you do right now matters. Just in the same same story with Hosea, how it is both about a reflection on Hosea and Gomer, but also a larger picture of the people of God. Is that, yes, that when, when Hosea said, Gomer, come home. Things changed for him. But also, wells were being dug, seeds were being planted, which then would change the relationship between Hosea and Gomer for generations to come. And in the same way that God called his people back to say, I want you to be mine again, it not only was going to change the relationship between God and his people, right then they would see a dramatic change, that they would come back out of exile, they would come back out of being estranged from God, being back in relationship, not only for them, but for generation after generation after generation. What you do right now in this get-to faithfulness isn't just for your benefit. It's not that if you put in the work, the return on your investment comes back to you. What you do is you dig wells, you plant seeds that you will never Never see the harvest of. So that generation upon generation upon generation can see the life transformation that happened within you, happened within them because you put the work in. This is why you pray at home. This is why you read your Bible. This is why you do the things that God has called you to do. This is why you serve. This is why you give. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because you are digging wells of faithfulness. You are planting seeds of faithfulness that you will never see the harvest for, but your kids, 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 kids will see it. This church has been here 41 years. You do not realize, you often forget, you stand on the shoulders of who have dug wells and planted seeds that they never saw the harvest of that you are now reaping. This is why we say, I don't, 
You don't have to come to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to see God grow in your life, in your stewardship of your treasure, of your time, and of your talents. You don't have to do anything. But when you get to, it's not so that you will reap the praise, so that you dig deep wells and you plant seeds that when your grandchildren come and say, what was grandpa like? You say, son. You say, granddaughter. Grandson. You don't have to look further than the fruits that you are benefiting from. Kids, parents, it's not just the adults in the room, kids, teenagers, what you do right now matters. The relationships that you build here, that you pave the way for the kids that are behind you in order that they might know and reap the harvest of the hard work that you put in to establish a relationship between the young people and the older generation. They will reap the harvest of the hard work that you put in the deep wells that you dig and the seeds that you plant that you will never see. And this is where everything changes. This is where the, from the top layer to the bottom layer is that when you do it just for yourself, you don't dig wells. You go into somebody else's vineyard and you take from which you never put any work into. My friends, this is what we do here. We don't come to church. We don't read our Bibles because we have to. We read our Bibles because we get to dig wells. We get to plant seeds so that I look, can look at my kids and my grandkids. And I can see the harvest in their lives, which I dug. And you know what? Even if I don't see it, I don't do it just because I can see it. what God did in calling the Gentiles were wells that were dug way before he told Paul, way before he told Peter that those things that are unclean are now clean. He dug wells and planted seeds for generations that get you to this point here right now. You are not the cat meow of Christianity. Neither am I. We're well diggers. We're planters. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I want to take a moment and just, would you continue to bring up in our hearts, what have you revealed to us? God, what have you spoken into our head and into our heart? that we need to hear. Lord, what are you saying right now that needs to cement, that needs to take root in our lives? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? So I just want to give a moment not to tell you what to do. I want you to respond to the way the Holy Spirit's speaking in your life. We follow Christ, not pastors. Holy Spirit, would you shift us? Shift us one degree. 
one degree that changes the path of not only our life, but of the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. God, may you do the work in us this morning that we just shift our perspective and our relationship with you. That we are your bride and you are the groom so willing to marry an unfaithful bride. Redeem in us, restore in us the joy of your salvation. Make right and straight our paths that lead to you. Do the work within us, around us, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We ask this in your name. Amen.